Friday, October the 23rd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, presidential candidates debate and Amy Coney Barrett progresses. First, the world in brief. President Donald Trump and Joe Biden met for a comparatively orderly final presidential debate. Republicans hope Mr. Trump landed a blow by forcing his opponent to admit he wants America to transition away from oil. Oil producing Pennsylvania is a battleground and Texas is in play. Mr. Biden again hammered the president's dismal record on COVID-19. There were feisty exchanges on foreign influence, healthcare and race. Each blamed the other for the still-stalled stimulus package. With the election 12 days away, Mr. Biden is comfortably ahead in the polls. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, said a stimulus deal is close, but may not come before the elections. Democrats and Republicans cannot agree over its specific billions or trillions. Meanwhile, initial claims for unemployment benefits dropped by 55,000 last week to a seasonally adjusted 787,000. Though the jobs market overall is recovering, claims remain above their pre-pandemic record. America's Senate Judiciary Committee voted to advance Amy Coney Barrett's Supreme Court nomination to a vote by the full upper house. Democrats on the committee, in the minority, boycotted the vote. If, as expected, Ms Barrett wins the Senate's approval on Monday, President Donald Trump will have succeeded in getting another conservative justice onto the court just eight days before the election. Saad al-Harari was named Prime Minister of Lebanon for the fourth time. He has promised a former government that will enact economic reforms needed to unlock more foreign aid. The country is struggling to recover from the damage caused by a huge explosion in Beirut in August, as well as from COVID-19. Last year, protests brought an end to Mr Harari's previous stint in office. Walmart sued the American government in a preemptive strike against the case it believes the Department of Justice plans to launch over its having fulfilled opioid prescriptions drawn up by problematic doctors. The government wants to make it carry the can for the opioid crisis, Walmart says, though its pharmacists had no option but to honour valid prescriptions. IAG, the owner of Aer Lingus, British Airways and Iberia, said it would reduce its winter schedule after losing 1.3 billion euros, 1.5 billion dollars, in the three months ending in September. The airline group will now fly only 30% of its usual schedule this quarter, down from 40% as previously planned, as rising COVID-19 infection rates once again squash demand for air travel in Europe. And America's State Department approved the sale of arms to Taiwan worth $1.8 billion, including missiles and artillery. The weapons will strengthen Taiwan's defence capabilities in the face of an increasingly assertive China, which claims the island as its own. China's foreign ministry accused America of interfering in its affairs and warned of a legitimate and necessary response. And now, here's today's agenda. Threats high and low. NATO defence ministers meet. All 30 defence ministers from NATO gather virtually today for a second day of meetings. High on their agenda is the threat from Russia, their main foe. Its missiles pose a growing challenge to Europe amid the fraying of existing arms control arrangements, though there are hopes that America and Russia might yet renew New START, a nuclear pact that expires in February. Enemy action in outer space and underwater is also a concern. Satellites and deep-sea cables, which could be severed by Russia's submarines, are considered under threat. 
the ministers agreed to establish a new NATO space centre in Germany, which will monitor nefarious activity in orbit. This week, the Alliance published figures showing that in 2020, Canada and European allies would increase defence spending for the sixth year running. Alas, despite Covid-induced economic contractions, two-thirds will spend less than 2% of GDP, a target they are supposed to reach by 2024. Candid Friends Facebook's Supreme Court Who should say what goes online? Hate speech and misinformation pollute the internet. But governments are neither keen nor often allowed to restrict free expression. So the sensitive, contentious job has fallen to tech executives, who really do not want it. Frankly, I don't think we should be making so many important decisions about speech on our own, said Mark Zuckerberg last year. Yesterday came the Facebook boss's solution, an independent oversight board made up of lawyers, academics, journalists and others which can order the social network to reinstate deleted posts. It cannot instruct Facebook to remove posts, nor weigh in on decisions about groups or posts that have been algorithmically downgraded, leading some to call it feeble. But board members hope to expand their powers over time. Fallouts from America's fractious election may provide some of their first cases, a baptism of fire for the board, which may take a little of the political heat off Mr Zuckerberg. The dreaded double dip. Europe's economy. IHS Markets Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index for Germany brought good news last month. The economic barometer's reading rose from 52.2 in August to 56.4, the highest in more than two years. Anything above 50 indicates expansion. October's release out today is also likely to be bright. But economic clouds are gathering in Germany and the rest of Europe as the continent battles another unexpectedly rapid surge of COVID-19 infections. Nearly every day this week, either Britain, France, Germany, Italy or Spain has announced new restrictions to contain the pandemic. Fearing a double-dip recession, governments desperately want to avoid another strict lockdown, which plunged Europe into its deepest post-war recession in the second quarter. But most economists are already cutting their forecasts for the fourth quarter into negative territory. Even if the pandemic eases, uncertainty about Brexit is further dampening the confidence of both consumers and businesses. Made in Japan Britain's latest trade deal Today, Britain's trade minister Liz Truss will sign a deal with Japan. Brexiteers will tout it as evidence that a new global Britain can navigate international waters. Although mostly a copy of the European Union's existing pact, the deal should contain some new goodies, such as more access for Britain's financial services companies to Japan and gains for biscuit and whiskey exporters. The bigger prize may be further ahead. As part of the talks, Japan has agreed to support Britain's membership of the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, a deal with 11 countries around the Pacific Rim. But, whereas the EU's economy was triple the size of Japan's when it negotiated the pact that Britain has now largely inherited, in 2019 Britain's economy was only a quarter as big as the aggregate GDP of the CPTPP's members. Because economic heft translates into bargaining power, Britain's path to the CPTPP could be trickier. Once more with enthusiasm. Egypt votes. For a country where politics is all but banned, Egypt holds a lot of elections. 
On Saturday, Egyptians will start choosing a lower house of parliament, their second election of any kind this year and the seventh since 2013. Voting is staggered over six weeks, with results due in December. But there is little suspense. Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, the authoritarian president, has jailed or intimidated most critics. Would-be MPs compete to appear supportive of him. A pro-government party, Mustok Balam Watanon, Nation's Future, is fielding the largest number of candidates. It's won a majority in August's upper house election, not hard as it ran unopposed. The president and his allies tout stability, strong growth, 5.6% last year, and infrastructure projects, from highways to a new capital city. For most Egyptians, though, life is getting harder. Subsidies have shrunk while poverty has increased. Rubber stamp parliaments have no answers to their problems. Turnout in August was less than 15%. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Diana Trilling, who died on this day in 1996. Ideology is the sterner face of myth, and we're a myth-making people. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 